All right, welcome back. Again, this is uh, Pastor Keith Pearson. And this is Dr. Tom Salt. And we're talking about uh, basically the Ten Commandments, uh, God's God's goodwill, God's uh, intention for us to have a free and just society that we live as free people. And today we're on to number five, at least by uh, Protestant reckoning, and that is you shall not murder. So that's interesting. Uh, uh, murder, you shall not murder. That's what this particular Bible says. Other Bibles say thou shall not kill. Right. And that's that by itself begins a huge part of the discussion. And, uh, well, for, for a specific or strict literal translation, murder is a better word than kill. And there is a distinction in the old Hebrew language. There's a difference between the word that's used here, and that is murder rather than kill. And there's several cases where, uh, you know, this this follows right on the heels of the fourth commandment, by our reckoning anyway, uh, where others in authority, starting with your parents, but all those in authority, have the right and the responsibility to act out God's justice in the world. And sometimes that does require uh, capital enforcement physically removing someone or physically killing someone, starting right from the the flood story, uh, the walls of Jericho, and any other battle that you want to choose where God leads God people into some conflict that results in somebody dying. Yeah, so the first thing I noticed, you're getting a little defensive about the numbering of these. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I kind of got instructed by uh, some well-intending person after an article that I'd written some time ago that uh, wanted to, I was just picking out one particular commandment and writing about that, and yeah, I got an editorial response back from them correcting Uh, me on that. Oh, you don't even know the numbers, huh? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I I want to explore the extreme edges of this thou shalt not murder for a moment. Um, Because we're really talking about God's attempt to help us understand how to build a just and equitable society. And so I am um, an individual who lives in a society who is in a lower caste because of the color of my eyes or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the shape of my nose. Who knows what this particular society says. And I have... um, uh, a disadvantage in terms of social class and economic opportunity and etc. And in fact, my family is starving. My family is starving. And I am driven to the point where I am going to pick fruit from my neighbor's tree. Now, interestingly enough, in, in Grenada, where I've spent a lot of time, that's not a crime. Uh, they've decided that the way they're going to deal with uh, poverty and hunger is it's okay to harvest anywhere on the island. Sure. But let's say we're living in a, in a, in a place where that's my tree, and it's not your tree, and you can't have any of that. And so here's my conundrum. If I don't take some fruit from that tree, my family is likely going to starve and possibly die. And certainly my young daughter is not going to have proper brain development um, because of malnutrition, etc. And so I make the decision to take, harvest that fruit. Now, I also know that there's no social safety net in this society. So if I take this fruit I, and get caught, I'm going to go to jail, and that results in certain death for my family. 
at what point do I have the God-ordained right to protect my family from this unjust society? Sure. Well, there's probably a balance in there somewhere. You don't have the right to take all of your neighbor's fruit because your neighbor depends on that fruit for his life and for his family. So I agree. There's some some balance in there. There's also a huge uh, reference to this in the Old Testament too. Something uh, referred to as gleaning. So if I own a field and when I harvest or when I send my laborers in to do the harvest, there's specific instructions not to do what they call gleaning. In other words, you leave sort of the edges of the field and you don't pick up every last bit of grain that falls. You're supposed to leave that for uh, for the poor. For those that, that don't have their own fields, they don't have that social safety net that, uh, that you talk about. So it is a way to, to not do the extreme uh, capitalism, the extreme uh, capturing of every possible grain and and bit, but it's some recognition that there's somebody out there that doesn't have the same abilities that I have, doesn't have the same advantages that I have, and so therefore I'm obligated to not you know, suck, uh, vacuum up every last grain of, of uh, wheat, but leave some of that for those that uh, don't have the advantages. So we're uh, deep into this uh, PBS series called Poldark. And it's about a guy who fights in the Revolutionary War. He's a nobleman from England. He goes back home. His father's passed away. His his copper mine is in disrepair and and perhaps played out. And um, yet he's he's a populist. He's a man of the people, and he's working very hard to try to better the society. And he lives around the edges. So one of the people who lives in his land went to the neighbor's land and poached a partridge. Now. The reason why the nobleman uh, in the next property wanted the partridge was not because he was starving, but it was because they were planning a hunt. They wanted to get on their horses and have their hounds and have the grand hunt. And that was more important than the starving people next door. This guy gets um, caught and um, gets a very harsh punishment uh, known as uh, uh, travel. And travel means they send you to the penal colony in Australia, which means that you never come back. (laughs) And, um, you know, this is a part of the society that we have evolved from. America evolved, by and large, from the rules and regulations of England. And hopefully we've made some changes, but this is a part of our society, too. And we do glean Mm-hmm. We glean to the very nth degree. We're trying to squeeze the last possible efficiency out of every single thing and hoard it. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because I was just thinking there's a there was a, a, a combine, so a, a field harvesting piece of equipment that was literally named the gleaner. Really, so I would soak up every last grain. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, there, it, we've obviously, in the U.S. especially, come out of that experience uh, and have intentionally chosen something different. And we've intentionally set up a society that's meant to be, uh, at least in theory, more equitable, more just. Uh, and along the way, we've figured out some of the things that uh, have even, where we, even here, we come short. So you come into the Great Depression and the massive soup lines and things like that, and we realize that there is no social safety net, and so we create some of these things. Now, you know, progress on another 50 years or so, and 
things seem a little more equitable. The the soup lines are gone, and so it's easy to sort of recoil from some of that or try to back up and undo some of that because uh, we think that we need every last dollar that we have, and any tax is a bad tax, therefore we don't want to pay, pay too much in taxes because undeserving people are getting things that they've not worked for, and I've worked for all this, therefore I should uh, have right to all of these things. But Which I think is the interesting great myth. Hmm. Um, all of these people who are getting things they don't deserve, I... I haven't I haven't experienced that myself, and and certainly does it happen? I'm sure it does, but it's like shark attacks. You know, you you listen to the news and you think, oh my gosh, everybody on the planet's getting eaten by sharks, and it turns out it's the same shark attack being uh, played over and over and over and over, or it's the same five, or the one happens today, and they talk about the one that happened five years ago. And the truth is, getting in our car is a thousand times more dangerous, or probably a million times more dangerous. And so we get this unjust bias that says that everybody on welfare is, you know, a terrible human being who's just gaming the system. Right. And um, I think I think that goes to the bias of being born on third base and believing you hit a triple. You know, many of us who are successful in our lives, we had a lot of advantages. Um whether it's uh, the advantage of a family that could support you or the advantage of a community that could support you. I mean, in my case, I have dyslexia. I couldn't read in the third grade. I didn't get sent to, uh, you know, some truancy program because I was a terrible human being. I got a tutor. Um, You know, many places, and, and I was an unruly kid. I was bored to tears in school because I couldn't read. I couldn't keep up. I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't care because it was just painful. Mm-hmm. So it could have been really easy to send me to some, you know, warehouse. Sure. And that is what happens to people. Oh, yeah. Well, I, my heritage, too. I'm, I've got Scandinavian background, and uh, one of my the oddities of my life is I'm left-handed. Yeah, and, you are very sinister. <laughs> well, yeah. So <laughs> in, the, in the ancient traditions of my, my people, where I come from, uh, when a child displays such tendencies, they take them out into the woods and drop them off where the elements take care of you. Because, yeah, it's something sinister. It's something evil. And uh, we, we don't dare keep that around. In your case, you were the Scandinavian Tarzan? <laughs> Not raised by, by a chimp. Yeah, raised by uh, Wolves reindeer or something. Yeah, reindeer, yeah. yeah. It, comes back to the, it comes back to the commandment, though. So you shall not murder. It's more than just the act of taking a life that's at stake here. It's the, the act of preserving life. And Martin Luther in his catechism would, would uh, emphasize this, too. It's not just our responsibility to not kill, but it is our responsibility to make sure that people have what they need for life. And that gets a lot more gray. That gets a lot more hard to ferret out. So back to the, to the bread argument or the fruit. You know, am, I, am I preserving my family and my life by stealing this loaf, or am I depriving the owner of that fruit or that, that uh, loaf of bread uh, by my taking it? So even a commandment like thou shalt not murder, mm-hmm. it's complicated. Yeah. It's not easy. No. I mean, it seems easy. Like, I'm not going to go murder somebody. Right. Uh, except, what if somebody's attacking me? Sure. What if somebody's broken into my home and I don't know if they thought him... You know, somebody breaks into your home and they're there and you're there. That's a serious intent, generally. Yes. Yeah. What do you do? 
Well, where does that line um, get formed? Is sure. It? Yeah. The police officer on the street uh, encountering a, a confrontation, and literally one life is being threatened by another, and the police officer has to inject themselves in between, and they have to at some point uh, face the question of whether or not they should use deadly force to preserve one life by taking another, and that's that's a tough spot to be. It is. It is a tough spot to be. Uh, life is a tough spot to be, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I had had an interesting conversation with uh, uh, my sister-in-law uh, about this some years ago. We were at their house for a, a little vacation and wonderful hostess, and she cooks fabulous meals for us and just a, it makes it a, a wonderful event just to be in, in her presence. But we were having a conversation about the death penalty. And she's, she was quite an advocate for the death penalty and lifting up some of the horrendous things that people have been charged with, what they've done, and therefore they deserve the death penalty. And uh, that, that's a difficult conversation all on its own. Um, but the, the ultimate hinge in this conversation came when you come down to this, uh, at least I never uh, statement. When somebody, when anytime somebody makes that statement, at least I never whatever. Um, so yeah, at least I never killed anyone. Well, yes and no. So we had just sat down to a massive feast, wonderful food, rich, elegant food, and it was more than any human being needs for a month at a time, but it was wonderful and it was glorious and it was a great meal. But I suggested to her, well, in the course of just that night's dining, several people in the world starved to death and would have their life would have been preserved by what we overate. Yeah, just by the amount we overate, not the amount we ate. No. Yeah. So do we do we bear some responsibility for the person who died that night because they were uh, malnourished and we are overfed and we spend millions and millions of dollars every year in this nation fighting off obesity. We spend more on obesity than some countries spend on food. Yeah. So there is something wrong with that picture, yeah. So uh, it is a gray area, and it's not always clear. And there's there's room for joy and celebration, but there's also room for uh, compassion beyond our, our specific uh, hands-on killing or not killing. I think that's to me that's the key word, compassion. Uh, you know, one of my fundamental principles is. I try every day and fail, of course, but I try every day to live in awe and live in compassion. And if you're having a feast uh, and you're, you're having that feast out of a sense of awe and not a sense of ret- entitlement, and if you're having that feast um, with some sense of compassion that there are others that are less fortunate, um, maybe that's my own uh, way of dealing with my guilt, but but I think that's a better way to celebrate than to celebrate out of a sense of I deserve it and you don't. Right. So, clear as mud, right? Clear as mud, but I think we've come full circle. It's not just about murdering, it's about uh, the whole encompassing idea of a just and equitable society. It's one of the components of a just and equitable society, which is something we wrestle with every day. Sure. It comes back to the Cain and Abel story. So one brother is jealous over the attention that the other is getting, 
and uh, results in killing his brother. And then the first question that God asks when he encounters the murderer, he says, you know, where is your brother? And the brother answers back, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the implied answer is yes. Yeah, uh, your brother's life was in your hands. Your brother's life uh, was your responsibility, and you failed in that responsibility. Right. And that's probably full circle and the place to end, huh? All right. Well, join us again for some more on these conversations. Uh,